This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. The burden of the word of the Lord. The burden of the word of the Lord to who? To Israel, the the, the, the favored one of God. The ones that, that God says, you know, I'm going to make you a special nation among all other nations. Not because you're something great, not because you're something good, but because people are going to be astonished that I would use even you. God kind of says the same thing to each one of us, too, doesn't he? Because, again, he can and will use us if we're open to be used by him. Do you remember the last thing that the Lord spoke to you? Maybe God showed you a certain verse that really ministered to you. Or maybe it was during a worship song. But if the last thing that God spoke to you was a strong rebuke and then you didn't hear from Him for a period of time, it might make you concerned, right? That's exactly what we see in the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. Malachi comes to the Jewish people with a burden from the Lord and then there isn't another word from Him for 400 years. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Malachi, chapter 1, verse 1, for today's study. It's interesting that by, by most, uh, most understandings and most studies, they believe that Malachi was probably written somewhere in the neighborhood of around 450 to 430 years before the birth of Christ. Now, if you think about that for a moment, the last book of the Old Testament 400, 450 years before Christ, and they didn't hear anything from God then for 400 years. Now, I know that people live their entire lives without hearing, perhaps without listening, but we're talking generation after generation after generation and they still had, at that point in time, remember, they had come back from Babylonian captivity. They had rebuilt the temple. They had rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem. Remember, as we looked at some of the other Old Testament prophets, the people were kind of emotionally upset because the temple that they rebuilt, the second temple, did not have nearly the glory that Solomon's temple did. But again, that's when the Lord spoke to him and says, you know what, I'm going to reveal my glory in even a greater way in this temple. And we know that that temple was the one that Jesus came into. So again, a greater glory was shown, even though in, in its physical presence it might not have been as ornate or as large. It had the very presence of Christ once Christ came. But we're talking 400 years since God spoke through his prophet until a guy out in the wilderness eating grasshoppers, wearing camel hair, comes up and says, thus saith the Lord. Now, for a people whose very existence is because of the miraculous hand of God to not hear from God for 400 years, that we can't even begin to comprehend that. We cannot comprehend not only because of the relationship of the nation of Israel, but also because of, again, just their, their worship, everything about it, and how, how dead it had to be. How dead it had to be with not counting present church, because 
I don't want to get embarrassed tonight, but have ever, any of you ever been in a dead church? Okay, that's why I said don't count this one, okay. Uh, and I don't believe that this is a dead church, but uh, because I see the life that's in it, and I see that in your eyes and your lives. But if you've been in a dead church, if you've been in a place that, man, it's just either the work of man or it's just all tradition or there's just nothing there that that, that is alive, how just frustrating that had to be. Now, the interesting thing is for you and I, in our culture today, if you're in a dead church, that's okay. Go down two blocks, try another one. That one's dead. Go down three blocks, try another one. We, we, we are in a culture that unfortunately, or fortunately, depending upon how it goes, there's a lot of choices out there. And it really, I've, I've found out just in my young life, uh, that it doesn't matter the name on the shingle outside. It really doesn't matter. What matters is the Spirit of God that's in and working within the life of the people, the life of the people. I've been in churches where the pastor's message is just flatlined, but you see the Spirit of God within the hearts of the people. I've been in other churches where the pastor is powerful, but you see the life of the church is like, ah, and you want to say, are you guys listening? Are you listening to what's going on? I praise God that I see life in our church. I praise God that I see life in the people of our church and and that we're real, okay? And there's not if you're visiting here tonight or if you haven't been around here for a while, uh every one of us have problems. None of us have arrived present company uh, included, okay? So we're all on this thing called journey. But I would hate to go 10 generations, 400 years without hearing the word of God. And the last word that you heard from him wasn't, hey, it's okay, everything's fine, you guys are doing great, I'm going to be gone for a while, but when I come back, everything's going to be greater. No, it starts out, Malachi says, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. The burden of the word of the Lord. Now, some versions say an oracle of the Lord. But the problem with that is, is that the word there, Masai, the Hebrew word Masai, is used within the, the Old Testament and is followed almost always with, again, a declaration of, of woe, a, a declaration of doom. It's not just the word of the Lord. Hey, here's the message of the Lord. Hey, the Lord spoke to me. Thus saith the Lord. No, this is literally the burden of the Lord. And suddenly now, here comes this message that's not going to be pleasant. It's like being called into the principal's office. I don't know about you, but I was never called into the principal's office to get an award. Okay? It was always for other reasons. And so when Malachi comes and says, here is the burden of the word of the Lord, it's not going to be a pleasant thing. It's not going to be a pleasant thing at all. Malachi's name means my messenger. That's all we know about Malachi. As a matter of fact, some people say, well, Malachi really wasn't the name of the, per- uh, the person that this was probably written by uh, Ezra or another, but 
Again, it's all speculation. Why couldn't Malachi be a person? We just don't know the background of his of of his life or his family. We kind of look at it and we think we don't believe that he's a priest. We don't see his name any other place listed as a name. A little bit later in in the book here, they they use that phrase "my messenger" over in chapter three, verse one, which is the same word, but it might be just a wordplay on the man's name. So let's look at this one more time in light of the fact that many of these Old Testament, particularly the minor prophets, were were men just like us. That, that God just suddenly came and says, I need you to bring my message to my people. Do you remember in, in, in the book of Judges, a fellow by the name of Gideon. I mean, you know, he's just out there. He's just doing the work. He's just doing his job. And all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord comes, and he says, hey, who am I? You know, that can't be God speaking. So he says, I need to find out for sure that it's you. I want to know that it's you before I do all of these things. And so he put God to the test. And the great thing is, is God passes all of his tests. You know, God doesn't fail on any of it. So a normal guy, a regular guy is what I look at. But I don't think he's normal to the sense that we, that we think that there, there wasn't anything special about it. I think that Malachi was probably a guy that loved the Lord. In the midst of a dead nation, he was one of those remnant. And God always has a remnant. That's one of the things that we can always be encouraged about. Yeah, even in a dead church, you know that even in dead churches, there are a remnant of people that all through those services, they're praying that the Holy Spirit would fall. That, that God would move within that pastor's life, within that congregation's life. But I believe that in probably even the deadest of churches, there are some dear saints that are there that just pray, Lord, move, move in our lives. Move us, change us. The burden of the word of the Lord. The burden of the word of the Lord to who? To Israel, the, 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 the favored one of God. The ones that, that God says, you know, I'm going to make you a special nation among all other nations. Not because you're something great, not because you're something good, but because people are going to be astonished that I would use even you. God kind of says the same thing to each one of us, too, doesn't he? Because, again, he can and will use us if we're open to be used by him. We might be that ordinary guy, just our gal, just out there doing what we're supposed to be doing. And God says, you know what? I want you to go and speak to this one. He might say to you, hey, I want you to be the one to go and encourage or, or challenge this one. And you're saying, um, you know, that's not my calling. But if God calls you, guess what your calling is? Okay? If God calls, that is your calling. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. God says, these words, I have loved you, says the Lord. But then he follows it up and he says, and yet you say, in what way have you loved us? It's kind of like when we get together and we say, hey, does anybody have anything to praise the Lord about? You agree with me on this point that many times it takes a while for us to get that going, okay? I, I wish it didn't. I wish it was like, whoa, whoa, hold on, just one at a time. And there's, you know, uh, people bounce up every time. But sometimes it just kind of takes us a while. Thinking, well, yeah, I got 
stuff to praise the Lord about. I just can't think about it, think of it right now. But that's not where he's going here. Where he's going here is really in the fact that they are looking at a nation that although they had been brought back from exile, they had rebuilt the temple, they had rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem, the, the, the life of Israel was trying to get back. They still weren't a, a, a powerful nation. They still weren't a, a prosperous nation by, by any stretch of the imagination. And you see, the, the way that they measured God's blessing on them was as if we were really prosperous and if we were really powerful and, and if everything that we wanted we had, then we would know that God loves us. But you and I, hopefully, we know that that's not the measure of God's love for us. Because otherwise, what happens to third world country people? Does that mean that God doesn't love them? What happens to people who are struggling in areas of poverty? Does that mean that God doesn't love them? No. So again, be careful, be careful of your theology, be careful of your doctrine, be careful even of what you listen to in, in Bible teaching. If God says he loves them, and we see that he's given them life, he's brought them back from exile, he hasn't annihilated them totally, and he could have just as easily have done that. He did that for Israel, the northern kingdom. He just wiped that out. Now, it's not that the ten tribes are lost. God's never lost anything. There were portions, there were remnants of those ten tribes, actually, that came down into the southern kingdom. But that northern kingdom was gone. There are other kingdoms, uh, even as we're going to look in a minute of the, the kingdom of Edom, that, that, that God did wipe out. But God loved Israel. And yet you say, in what way have you loved us? And God goes on to explain. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? And yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. And I have laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals and of the wilderness. Now, we have to be really careful there in trying to understand exactly what he's saying there. Most of you know the story in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis where, again, uh, uh, the, the, the life of Isaac uh, has, or has the sons Jacob and, and Esau. They were twins. They were literally wrestling within her womb. Esau was the one that was born first. He was the one who should have got the firstborn's blessing. But there was a a character fault within Esau, if you know that story. It was a character fault that suddenly his flesh became more important to him than anything else in the world. Now, Jacob wasn't perfect, and if you know the story, Jacob had a lot of faults too, and that always gives us hope, doesn't it? When we see biblical characters that, wow, that guy, like we said last week, the knuckleheads that Jesus called the 12, uh, you know, it gives all of us hope. But when we see somebody like Jacob that God says, you know, Jacob, I've loved, but Esau I've hated. Don't misunderstand that in, in the realm of what we look at in love and hate, because this isn't emotions. God isn't dealing with emotions at this point in time. It is dealing very much so with choice that God chose Joseph, or I mean Jacob, and he didn't choose Esau. Now, we could get into a whole lot about the sovereignty of God and predestination and election and everything, but I'm not going to go there tonight because, again, that would take more than the three weeks that I've got that we're going to try and finish uh, Malachi in. Let me just say this, that God is God, and God, just as he chose Israel above all the other nations, does that mean that he did not love 
other nations? Anybody? You're my Wednesday night crowd. Anybody? No. But God was going to choose. He chose through Israel to glorify himself. And in the same way in Jacob's life, he chose to glorify himself through Jacob's life. But Esau, all through this thing, we see a heart of a man that's just full of flesh, full of pride, full of his desire, not really a hunger for God in his life at all. And so we see this division that continues to to go there. And God says, I've laid waste his mountains. The people of Edom are the were the descendants of Esau. And again, that whole area, that place that's uh, um, east of the Dead Sea and south of the Dead Sea, the most barren, and I would use the word God-forsaken piece of real estate in the world. And you drive through that and you think, wow, you see biblical prophecy in a real way when you look at that land. He goes on to say in verse 4, even though Edom has said, and that's the, that's the people that have come out of Esau, even though Edom has said, why, we've never been impoverished. And we'll return and we'll build the desolate places. Again, there was ego and pride that was there that continued to drive them. There was absolutely no repentance. There was nothing that said in the desolation of their land to say, we've sinned against God Almighty, and that's the reason why we're in this shape. I'm going to pause for a second and get political for a moment. We look at our nation, we look at our, 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 our finance, we look at the, the moral culture, we look at the family breakdown, we look at, what are we, like 29th on the list of, of education of, of, uh, of, uh, of advanced uh, nations. It was in the paper just within the last day or so. And, and you look at us and you think, why would we be that way? We can make this better. We just need to try harder. We just need to do this. We need to do that. Maybe what needs to happen is our nation needs to repent. For turning our backs on God for years and years. I believe that we're reaping the harvest of that. And when you look and you say, impoverished? Yeah. How many people in our nation got hit so hard? And yet now they're saying, hey, but the economy's on the rebound. The the, the Dow Jones is over, you know, 16,000 or whatever. Everything's doing good. Everything's fine. Put on a happy face. It's all good. Go out and buy. Get a piece of credit card. Go out and buy everything. Push, and we push and push without people saying, you know, no. We're a nation that's turned its back on God, and I don't believe that God's finished chastising us. Okay, end of political. Put that down. But I believe that's the real truth for us as a people. Thus says the Lord God, still in verse 4, the second half of it. Thus says the Lord of hosts, sorry. They might build, but I'll throw it down. And they shall be called the territory of wickedness. And the people against whom the Lord will have indignation for a season. What does it say? Forever. You know that there are no more Edomites? They are all gone. There are no more Edomites. As a matter of fact, we we look at this, and Ezekiel wrote back in in around 1600 B.C. Um, In fact, keep your place in Malachi, and if you would, turn back to Ezekiel chapter uh, 35. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel 35. 
we don't have time to read all of it. Or if you listen fast, maybe we will. Okay. In Ezekiel chapter 35. Now, this was about 200 years prior to Malachi's declaration. And listen what the Lord says. Again, Mount Sire, uh, Sire, uh, Edom, uh, the descendants of Esau, they're, they're all the same, okay? So in chapter 35 of Ezekiel, beginning in verse 1, we read, Moreover, the word of the Lord, now this isn't the burden of the Lord, this is different, he's using a different word, but the word of the Lord is coming. Might as well be the burden of the Lord, because here it says, Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir, and prophesy against it, and say to it, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O Mount Seir, I am against you. I will stretch out my hand against you, and I will make you most desolate. And I shall lay your cities waste, and you shall be desolate. And then you shall know that I am the Lord, because you have an ancient hatred. And you shed the blood of the children of Israel by the power of the sword at the time of their calamity. And we talked about this a few weeks ago as we were going through some of the mighty prophets, how Edom actually used uh, the battles that Judah was fighting against their enemies to their own opportunity. And if people from the, the from Judah would, would run, then the Edomites would come and they would slay the children of Israel or they would take them captive. So they continually used that. Every time an enemy would come to Judah, they would come and they would fight on the enemy's side. He says, when they're at iniquity, uh, let's see, uh, by the power of the sword at the time of their calamity, when their iniquity came to an end, therefore, as I live, says the Lord God, I will prepare you for blood, and blood shall pursue you, since you have not hated blood. Therefore, blood shall pursue you. Thus I will make Mount Sire most desolate, and cut off from it the one who leaves and the one who returns. In other words, coming or going, he's going to get you. Okay? And I will fill its mountains with the slain on your hills and in your valleys and in all your ravines. Those who are slain by the sword shall fall. I will make you... What does the word say? In my New King James, it says, perpetually desolate, everlasting desolate. Because that's what perpetually means. It's always going to be that way. Now, this was 600 years before Christ. We're now 2,000 years or so after Christ, okay? And it's still desolate. Still desolate. I'll make you perpetually desolate. And your cities shall be uninhabited. And then you shall know that I am the Lord. Because you have said, these two nations and these two countries shall be mine and we will possess them. Again, that pride and that arrogance. Although the Lord was there, therefore, as I live, says the Lord God, I will do according to your anger and according to the envy which you showed in your hatred against them. And I will make myself known among them. In other words, I'll make myself known among the people of Judah. When I judge you, then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have heard all your blasphemies, which you have spoken against the mountains of Israel, saying, they are desolate. They are given to us to consume. Thus, with your mouth, you have boasted against me and multiplied your words against me. I have heard them. Now, let me stop right there. Did you hear what he said? You spoke blasphemies when you spoke against Israel. And he says, when you've done that, that means you boasted against Israel. Is that what he says? 
No, you boast against me. And and you multiplied your words against me. Do you remember the story of Saul of Tarsus? Saul of Tarsus going up to Damascus to persecute the Christians there in the book of Acts. His whole intent was, I'm going to take as many Christians and wipe them out as I can, put them in prison, kill them, whatever I can, because he hated them so much. And Jesus came to Saul of Tarsus on that road there, knocked him off his high horse, and spoke to him and says, Why are you persecuting the Christians? No. He says, Why are you persecuting me? Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. Pastor David will continue sharing with us from the Minor Prophets next time. What we'll learn is that even though many of these books are quite short, they are full of important prophetic insights. Now we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to TheOpenWord.com and follow the link to The Open Word Facebook page. You can also subscribe to The Open Word Podcast at TheOpenWord.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. The Open Word Podcast is always available and completely free. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word Podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to TheOpenWord.com and subscribe to the Open Word Podcast. Again, to become our Facebook friend and to access the archive of messages, log on to theopenword.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next study as Pastor David shares insights from the Minor Prophets. That's next time on The Open Word.